for the week of April 26, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are reviewing the 10th episode of the 7th and final season of The Clone Wars, The Phantom Apprentice, in which Ahsoka confronts Maul on Mandalore and uncovers troubling details about Lord Sidious's plan for Anakin Skywalker. John, what did you think of this episode? Man, if this wasn't the best episode of Clone Wars I've ever seen, it's right up there. This was a lot of fun. It's amazing how engaging a uh, lightsaber battle can be when the characters have had time to establish their motivations and you're really just invested in the story. This was solid. This was a lot of fun. And I I think we got a lot of ground to cover. So uh, I'm not going to belabor the point. Had fun with it. Let's jump in. All right. Well, let's start with this introduction. So the last two episodes have given fans something really special in terms of introduction to any type of Star Wars property. I mean, last week we got this really big cinematic, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of in your face, bang, it <laughs> right. catches you off guard. This week, I'm expecting a similar type of deal, but this was kind of, to me, real Avengers Infinity War, like right. the end of Avengers Infinity War, where it was really dark and it just kind of dreary there yeah well this is them saying very clearly these last four episodes are a movie we have to put a title card on it because well you know <laughs> we need to let you know what show you're watching but we're gonna bring you right back into the previous scene we're not going to give you a big fanfare we're not going to give you the the commentary like let's catch up with our heroes where's everything at in the galaxy we don't get that uh, little voiceover we don't get a fortune cookie we don't get anything because All we're interested in is picking up the story where we left off. They know that everybody watched the last episode. They know that everyone's up to speed. We're we're in the end game here, like, you know, to your point. Uh, So there's there's no need to drag it out. We've already got a a relatively long episode by Clone Wars standards. So let's just get to the meat. And uh, I think that's the right move because eventually someone's going to edit this stuff all together and it's going to make a really punchy 104 minute movie. And uh, that's that's kind of what we're seeing here. Well, and then, uh, you know, on top of that, the Clone Wars has really been something to where it's kind of at least the beginning seasons have been out of chronological order. And so you had kind of the voiceover telling us where we were in the galaxy with this one. If you're watching this episode without watching the last episode, (laughs) oh, my goodness, you have made a mistake. So this just picking up with Maul and Ahsoka. And we have this really kind of dreary discussion between Maul and Ahsoka (laughs) where he's basically telling her like, Hey, there's some stuff going on in the galaxy. Right. Yeah. Maul is quite the gentleman in a lot of ways in this episode. Like he's not being deceptive. He doesn't have to at this point. He knows that the the galaxy's doomed. All he's trying to do is just be as much of a fly in the ointment to Sidious as possible. And so he's got nothing to lose. He might as well just put it all in the line and just let Ahsoka decide what she thinks about all this truth. And of course, she doesn't believe him. But um, it's it's a lot of fun to see Maul kind of going for broke. He knows that dark times are coming. He knows that his only play at this point is just to capitalize on the chaos and let his new criminal enterprise, uh, which we get a glimpse of in this episode, sort of become ascendant because he has a beat on really the direction the galaxy is going. And um, yeah, if... yeah. 
if he has to dispatch Ahsoka, so be it. If he can somehow win her over and help, you know, go after Sidious, that's good too. At this point, he's just shooting from the hip. He just he just wants to see the world burn. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a really interesting play in all this because one, he wanted Obi-Wan, and then we find out that right. his major play is that he wants Anakin Skywalker there, which is just mind-blowing, so we'll get into that in a minute. But mm. we get this play where Ahsoka's the one that confronts him, and he's kind of like, ah, I don't like, who are you? Yeah. I'm going to find out <laughs> who you are before I actually fight you. Yeah, he's just kind of toying with her here. He's He's got the upper hand in the situation because she's surrounded, so he's either going to pump her for information, or He's going to, you know, use what he can uh, gather from the clones, which is kind of, you know, what we see next and and kind of figure out what his play is that way. So, yeah, this is a bit of a standoff. Obviously, you know, he makes his retreat, just a, a calculated decision at this time. Uh, but we know this isn't going to be their last encounter for the episode. So he flees and then Ahsoka kind of pursues him for a minute, but then comes back because Obi-Wan is having this kind of conference with her where he wants to talk to her about what's going on. And she asks him like, Hey, is there any way that you can come back and help us? Right. And we learn at this point where we are in the (laughs) revenge of the Sith. There's been kind of a little bit of like, all right, where exactly are we? How close are we to these events? But we find out that Obi-Wan has been sent to pursue Grievous in that final pursuit from revenge of the Sith. Yeah. So things are moving quick Uh, in the time span from where Obi-Wan and Anakin take off for Coruscant to where we are now after the opening salvo of the Siege of Mandalore. They've gone to Coruscant. They've rescued Palpatine. They've killed Dooku. They've gone back to the planet. Anakin has been reunited with Padme. Obi-Wan has gone to the temple and been debriefed by the council. They've impressed Anakin into this spy role because there's a growing mistrust of Palpatine. All of that has happened, and basically everybody's kind of at their lowest point. Everyone realizes, okay, we may have just won the war, but at what cost? Things don't feel right. That's kind of where we pick things up. So yeah, we've covered a lot of ground, but the nice thing is, as far as time frame is concerned, we are mere hours away from Order 66, and and Maul can feel it. And obviously Obi-Wan's got this foreboding, right? Because he's he's just trying to figure out any move at this point that you know, might help illuminate uh, a situation that uh, the Jedi still don't have a good beat on. He explains to Ahsoka everything that they know about Darth Sidious's plan, and it ain't much. He he says, we think they're kind of playing both sides, but we don't even know who this guy is or, you know, how he's doing it. Dooku told me something. Don't know if it's the truth or not, uh, but that's a dead end because Anakin just took his head off. So, yeah, the Jedi are kind of uh, at the end of the the line as far as their leads on the Sith. And now Ahsoka is the only one who can really potentially bring them all who might be able to uh, illuminate things or give them the upper hand. So, yeah, she's positioned herself in a a very pivotal spot right now. And uh, it's kind of exciting to see her uh, take on the challenge of bringing Maul to justice. Yeah. And we get this an inside look into Obi-Wan's mind here, because in the movie, we don't know exactly how he feels about killing Dooku. I mean, he makes the one comment to Anakin about like, hey, you rescued me. You killed Dooku. It seemed like he was kind (laughs) of understanding as to why. But in this conversation with Ahsoka, he's you can tell he's concerned. You can tell just the way his voice is that he's really concerned about why Anakin did that. And then on top of that, Ahsoka is also concerned. So you have these two parties that are so close to Anakin 
and they both want to talk to Anakin about this, but they've been sent out onto their other assignments. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's so devastating because Ahsoka understands. She's like the one person that understands and is willing to voice her understanding of Anakin's feelings about the council giving him the decision to spy on Palpatine. Right. And Obi-Wan is encouraging her to call him. Yeah. And man, how devastating in this, because how far would that call have gone? Well, who who knows? I, I obviously we don't get that because Ahsoka told us that the last time she saw her master. Well, maybe she talks to him because I guess this wouldn't be technically seeing him. But if it's a hologram, who knows? Um, I guess from a certain point of view, maybe she does uh, have a chance to talk to Anakin. But my assumption is it doesn't happen because the gears are in motion, right? Everyone's kind of busy dealing with their particular Sith Lord of the day. Uh, so. Uh, I don't think it happens. If it did happen, I don't think it would get too far because Anakin's so conflicted at this point. Uh, he loves Ahsoka, but I think he would find more of a, an ally, more, you know, someone who obviously has her own misgivings and she might just, you know, reinforce his position of, of uh, his mistrust in the Jedi. So I don't know this uh, things. This is where things are all kind of tangled up and very complicated and you're getting a sense of where everyone's at emotionally. But you know, things could turn on a dime here. <laughs> so uh, obviously that's not the story that we're getting in this particular episode, but it certainly could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I think that if she does talk to him, he's, she's mm-hmm. not going to be talking to Anakin Skywalker. She's going to be talking to Darth oh, Vader. Oh yeah. Well, but the thing is she doesn't know that Anakin is Darth Vader until rebels, right? When they square off. Yeah, that, that is possibly true. Um, but what if she, well, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to tell her that he is Darth Vader. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's oh. a really good point. I really well, that's true. That. Cause he goes back to Padme, right? And he's like, my new empire, we can have a ball. Uh, so yeah, he, even though he's Darth Vader, you wouldn't know what to look at him cause he isn't in the suit. Right. So maybe she does have a very brief encounter, but the thing is you get the sense in rebels that she doesn't know that uh, he ever like took a turn like that. He ever, um, you know, uh, drew a line in the sand between him and the Jedi. You don't, you, you at least don't get that sense. It doesn't mean that they couldn't expand the lore and, and give us more details on that. Uh, I just don't think that that's where we're going with this. I think that opportunity just doesn't arise for her to be able to speak to Anakin. So she doesn't get a sense of where he's at one way or another, which makes the reveal in rebels a little bit more poignant, you know, that she is taken aback. Like, Oh my goodness. Now we know, you know what Maul told her. It was all true. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And then in this conversation, again, the last thing I want to point out is <laughs> how Obi-Wan kind of feels guilty about how the council treated yeah. Ahsoka because his comment, I think, has multi layers to it where he says the council isn't always right. Yeah. Obi-Wan, he's yeah, he's between a rock and a hard place. He's on the council, but he has a sense of foreboding. He has a loyalty to Anakin, but he knows that there's bigger things happening in the galaxy, but he just doesn't quite have his finger on exactly what the right move is. So he had to go along with the council's decision, but you know, that doesn't mean he likes it or that it's ideal. It's still kind of like in war. Sometimes you have to make these odd moral compromises. And uh, unfortunately, this one's going to blow up in his face hard and you kind of get a sense that he's wise enough and he knows Anakin well enough. And he just, he knows this isn't going to end well. He just doesn't know what he could do better, you know? So it's just really like a, a damned if you do damned, if you don't kind of moment for Obi-Wan. 
And this is really great. I just love this overall scene because we get one, we get the sense of where we are in the timeline. We understand where we are now. We understand that Order 66 is so close. We <laughs> knew that from the very beginning of this yeah. season, but now we know it, really how close it is. And then we get inside look on as to what Ahsoka was doing when this is going on. So we know that she's probably on Mandalore with her clones when mm-hmm. Order 66 is launched. And then we get a sense as to where Maul is, which is getting so interesting here. Because Maul wants to figure out who this Ahsoka Tano is. And he takes Jesse and does a Kylo Ren trick on Jesse here. <laughs> Yeah, he pulls a few Kylo Ren tricks. He's uh, he's good with deflecting bolts. Uh, he's uh, yeah, good with extracting information from people. Uh, he is proving that he has all sorts of Sith tricks up his sleeve. And uh, yeah, he's going to use them all because if there's a way to somehow capitalize on Ahsoka to be able to further his ends, he's going to go for it. So yeah, he's really invested in finding out who she is. Uh, he uses the the Sith mind extraction. It gets him what he needs to know because now he he has a sense of Ahsoka's weakness. He knows the chink in the armor, the thing that might win her over that she is disenfranchised with the Jedi and that's kind of his play. So uh, yeah, another interesting development that is going to come into play as soon as they uh, square off again. And this episode is full of mirrors. I mean, there's so many mirrors between just everything (laughs) that's going on. And so while Maul is doing this and is extracting information from Jesse forcibly, we have this mirror of Ahsoka and, you know, the good Mandalorians getting information from the prime minister about what Maul's plan is. And this is where we learn that Maul wants, for some reason, Anakin Skywalker on this planet. Yeah, the episode is full of little audio cues to kind of really drive home where they're trying to pay homage with a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the setups here. This uh, had a nice little cue at the end of it that I think was pulled from the end of Jedi when Vader takes off his mask, you know, and uh, he has that heart to heart with Luke there before he dies. You get that very somber uh, Vader theme. So they call that back because when the politician is referring to Anakin. He's not really referring to Anakin as being a force for good in the galaxy. He kind of understands, or he doesn't necessarily understand, but we understand as the audience that uh, we're really talking about the downfall of Anakin here, which is what was underscored at the end of Jedi. So it's a nice cue there. And then he gets Zam Wesseled. He, he, he gets a couple, <laughs> you know, shots to the chest right before he has a chance to reveal the information. But, uh, much like the scene with Yoda in Jedi, he has, you know, just a little bit of life left in him where he's able to utter the word Skywalker, which gives Ahsoka everything she needs to know to uh, be even more conflicted and confused about what's going on in the galaxy. But it's as much as she needs to know that she has to go back to Maul and, and really figure out what the deeper game is here. So a lot going on in the scene. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of cool when you get those surprising moments where, uh, you know, this wormy politician that you kind of want to see get his comeuppance, he gets it and I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of felt a little bad. Like, I mean, that's it's not a fun way to go out and they just kind of show it and linger on it. Right. Like you see the bolts like hit his chest and him expire. So this was, uh, yeah, the, this was a, a pretty fun and intense scene. So, uh, we're, we're moving along at a good clip. There's a lot happening in this episode and it's all working and it's all feeling super star Wars because of those callbacks and those mirrors that you were referring to. Yeah. And then, of course, the last time that we have seen Darth Maul in this in on screen, at least, was Mm -hmm. in Solo. And in Solo, he's working with these crime syndicates. 
And then this next scene here, we have Maul telling these five syndicates to go into hiding. Right. So he knows that there's going to be a big sea change in the galaxy momentarily. And because he has that insight and that intuition, he can get ahead of it. And because of that, he's a really valuable sort of figurehead, like uh, the head of the five families kind of idea. Uh, I think that's what they're saying here is that he's positioned himself atop these other syndicates like the Pikes and you know everyone else we've been introduced to. Uh, and that's really what Crimson Dawn is. Crimson Dawn is him taking the shadow collective that he had worked with previously and consolidating them all under him because he's the only one that can really shepherd them into this new era of criminal prosperity as darkness descends over the galaxy. And we see that and we even uh, see uh, Dryden Voss there in hologram form. So they're bringing it full circle. They're letting us know just kind of how far he's come in building this empire. And uh, it, it's just it's a really nice callback. It's nice to tie that together. It does make uh, the ending of Solo feel a little sharper. Now that you have more context on why Maul is the guy that appears at the end, because obviously, you know, he's the he's the big baddie. He's the one that sits on top. So this was another fun scene. It's it's great to add that tapestry and that context to the universe. So, again, uh, my running theme of the episode, there's there's no misfires. Every set piece, every scene that we get is just giving us so much. It's just paying so many dividends from, uh, you know, what we've had uh, established up to this point in Clone Wars. It's just all paying off now with these last few episodes. And there's so many of these references and these callbacks. And in this next case, this kind of uh, this projection or this parallel, I don't know how purposeful it was, but Maul tells the Mandalorians (laughs) that are on his side or the Maldalorians that it's not the way of your people to hide in the gutters. Now, this is obviously a reference to the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. So when we pick up in Mandalorian, they are living underground effectively in the sewers so it does underscore that that's not where they want to be and that's why uh you know uh, eventually they have to go surface side as soon as they have a cause that they can rally behind they they just have to go for it because these are a a patriotic uh warrior type of people that yeah that without a cause they're nothing and he plays on that he's able to rally them and steal them for the second wave of the siege of mandalore by playing on their their need to yeah you know rally behind a cause and and be a proud people yeah we don't live on our knees we don't live in the sewers you know if we die so be it if if we're dying in battle that's a that's a good way to die um yeah they're they're kind of our our klingons of the star wars universe in many respects with uh just how much uh, pride they take in their warrior culture and uh yeah maul knows that he's a sith so he's got to be a master manipulator and he's he's working all the angles Yeah, and it's so, so cool how they're doing this because this is really Filoni and, you know, Disney Star Wars at its best. The biggest thing I wanted from Disney was kind of this, and this has been the complaint for a lot of the Star Wars properties so far, is that things don't always feel the most connected. They don't always feel like they they flow together. And whenever you have a powerhouse like Disney that had already powered through most of those Marvel films, Mm -hmm. everything seemed very connected with that. And this feels a lot like that. I mean, we are getting references from the old, the new, and the current. I mean, we in this next one, we get this reference to the Empire Strike back with this introduction of Darth Maul where he's kind of the door opens and we see (laughs) him sitting there before everyone else does yeah so of course yeah many callbacks so that's a lot of fun but I'll second that I'll second that absolutely that the one thing that the Disney era of Star Wars is getting very very right is TV Uh, 
Mandalorian, there aren't many people that are going to stand up and say that that wasn't a fun ride and that that didn't feel like Star Wars and that it didn't do justice to the mythology of Star Wars and, you know, the the source material, the genres that Star Wars uh, traditionally tapped into to build its space opera, space Western for kids kind of uh, feel. So they got Mandalorian very right. And then this here as sort of the vision of the prequels that you kind of wish Lucas could have realized in film, you know, like really uh, emotional, well-drawn characters uh, with high stakes. There's a lot here that um, you really needed a lot of time to establish. You just needed to let it stew and you needed to understand the characters at a more fundamental level than the movies allow you to. And I'm starting to feel like Star Wars works best in TV. Now that we're at a point where TV can do justice to this kind of material and still make it feel grand and epic when it needs to, uh, why not? I'd rather my stories have, you know, six or eight episodes to unfold than just a two hour runtime. And uh, it's all working. So uh, I agree with you. There's, there's definitely something good about being able to take the time to have so many tie-ins and really paint a complete picture of your story and it it doesn't feel rushed or or clunky or, you know, just not fully baked. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling really good (laughs) about the Clone Wars this week. If if you haven't noticed. Yeah. And going off of that as well in the post game of Thrones world, we have this reality that it's not absurd to spend a lot of money on TV shows. And we're going to get that with some Amazon shows coming up with the Lord of the Rings and of course, with Mandalorian season two and three, which are coming <laughs> yep. at us. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is it's totally amazing. And then I, I dare say that Filoni is becoming a really kind of feige character in Lucasfilm for television. He's got the full picture, right? Because he's been invested in pretty much every television project that Lucasfilm has ever done. Droids and Ewoks, <laughs> uh, notwithstanding. Uh He's the guy that is able to make sure that the stories do connect. You know, he's the one that could pull in what we learned in solo and make sure that it ties into his narrative for what he wanted to do with the siege of Mandalore. So that there's some, you know, some nice continuity and overlap there with uh, showing us where the crime syndicates are at. That's stuff that you need someone that understands all the properties and is just really steeped in the star Wars lore to be able to pull off. So yeah, he's very well positioned to be, one of the head like myth makers or just the quality control. The one thing that Lucas could provide Lucasfilm uh, was the grand vision. You know, he was the one that understood the right tone for the world and what made sense in the context of star Wars. And Disney was maybe a little foolish to write him off as early as they did. Um, because you know, that that's a critical piece that you don't necessarily understand till <laughs> maybe you're a few movies down the road and you realize, Oh yeah, maybe we need a bit more vision here. So yeah, Filoni, everyone has always kind of said that he was the right guy to take on that mantle. And now that we've seen him transition to being a quasi showrunner for the live action stuff, uh, as long as he's there kind of like the right hand man to whoever the creative lead is on any star Wars project, he's going to be able to help keep that continuity and keep it feeling star Warsy. So yeah, Lucasfilm, uh, whatever you do, just keep re-upping his contract. He's worth every penny. <laughs> and who would have thought that mall would have been the instrument of continuity with between yes. the prequels and the, the, the major trilogy. I mean, this has been so insane because mall, his dialogue was so great. The script mm-hmm. writing, just all of his lines where he's kind of throwing these hints and he's doing it 
in such a Darth Maul manner where he's still being evil. Like he's kind of toying with Ahsoka here. He's right. teasing her a bit like, hey, I know what's going on. You're going to if you make it out of this, you're going to figure out <laughs> that I was right. And right. I, I kind of have an inside look into all this because I got this vision and we're we're going forward with this. And it's Maul that's this instrument of continuity. And I love it. Yeah, it's interesting when they brought back Maul many, many years ago. I remember feeling at the time, like, really, we got to have this kind of contrived explanation of why we see a guy get cut in half, but somehow he manages to live like we can't come up with a new villain. We just got to keep, you know, mining what what we've already kind of dealt with and, and put a bookend on. So I wasn't really feeling it right out of the gate. And then when we saw him in solo, like, at least I knew he was alive. So it wasn't so jarring to see him in solo. But I was still kind of like, really, like, do, does this need to be, you know, the the overarching villain that keeps popping up here but now i don't think i'd want it any other way because the groundwork that they laid earlier is now again paying such good dividends you're right that the way they use maul in these episodes feels so good because he does feel like he's more in control than ever he's still governed by a need for revenge like there's a there's an underlying uh, passion that's totally irrational and and you know that he has the capacity to really go nuts when uh, things don't go his way so uh he he still got that chaos factor to him but he seems so contained and so in control of these situations that that feels very sith-esque mm-hmm. so this is good they wrote him well they animated the snot out of him we can get into you know the the lengths they went to to make sure that they had ray park doing mocap and just really bringing as much to the the mall characters they could in these episodes but i think it's really paying off i'm i'm gonna do a reversal on my previous uh notion that bringing back mall was kind of a hokey move because yeah in the long run it's it's definitely paying off it, it was absolutely a great payoff and then this scene where ahsoka and mall have their duel but there's so much that's set up into this duel i mean it's not it's not necessarily like Anakin and Obi-Wan's final duel in Revenge of the Sith, where mm. there's a lot of like kind of yelling and this is my plan and this is why your right. plan's dumb and this is why you're being manipulated and <laughs> this is why I've already been manipulated by the Jedi type of thing. But this yeah. is more so where Maul, it, like they're both kind of calm here. Like they have pretty good composure with with this uh discussion they're just not coming to the same road and then ahsoka's like (laughs) listen man i'm not a jedi so you're not gonna offend me by telling me all this stuff like whatever i'm just here for the greater good blah blah blah, all that stuff but she's not believing him and then you have this amazing scene where this at least like the way it appears is this final siege of Mandalore is starting to begin where you have these these ships, uh, you know, fighting outside this ginormous window where they are in the palace. <laughs> and then this slow motion explosion of this window, which it's cinematography means this is amazing. Like this is Christopher Nolan type of stuff. Yeah, they definitely know how to make a moment land and uh, you got to respect the directing. It does feel like they've pulled out all the stops. They're going to give us the most visually impactful and just, yeah, most epic Clone Wars fare that we've ever seen. Uh, I think we've gotten a sense of that. The last two episodes have been absolutely gorgeous and yeah, framing the the staging of the battles, just everything about it feels a cut above. Like they, they really wanted to get these ones right. The other uh, like eight episodes leading up to this, you know, it, it was a return to form. It was good enough Clone Wars. And then, you know, I would say maybe a bit of a misstep with the Martez sisters, but that was all like 
sort of like typical fare. That was just mid-season Clone Wars, not super high stakes. But this one, it feels like a movie. You know, when you see a TV show translated into a movie, you can always feel when you go into the movie theater that the production values are cut above. Just for whatever reason, the camera lenses just make everything look better on the big screen or whatever it is. I'm feeling that. Like, I'm feeling like they just went all out to make sure that this is just the best Clone Wars they could possibly deliver. I mean, there's so much to be said. You set up a lot of things there, so I don't want us to gloss over the fight. But just, yeah, the... um initial kickoff here where ahsoka is going to join him but then she can't get on board with the idea that anakin skywalker is the linchpin to all this and so she's like okay maybe this guy is not someone that i can ally with i'm going to stick with the plan to bring him to justice that's really good storytelling because we know that the best lightsaber battles in star wars are always emotionally driven there has to be something underpinning them that makes you care about who's going to come out the victor and there has to be something psychological that's motivating these people to engage in the battle in the first place like in jedi we see it you know palpatine is trying to manipulate uh luke and trying to play on his fear and trying to drive him towards hatred and trying to cause him to act out in violence to to well up you know the the dark side in him to to try and uh you know overwhelm him and you see that manipulation where what he's saying is is crafted to try and you know manipulate and psychologically tear down Luke. We get some of that here, but both sides are kind of equally um, in control, right? Neither one of them is giving up too much. Like nobody's winking and saying, "Oh, you know what? You just you, you hit me deep, and now I'm kind of off kilter." And I'm, you know, you don't get that. But we know that obviously this is hitting Ahsoka hard. She's learning some really painful truths, and she's trying to figure out whether she's being manipulated or whether she's hearing the truth and she's got some really tough decisions to make there and you're getting all that on screen. You're getting, they're taking time to go in close and you see the eyes sort of get a little bit more um, like pensive and contemplative as, as Ahsoka is trying to navigate all this. So you see that there's serious stakes here and that, you know, they're, they're toying with each other and trying to get the psychological upper hand before the lightsabers ever come out. And that's what makes the battle really land when they, when they get to it. And then when the lightsabers do come out, it is it's <laughs> extremely flawless. I mean, this whole I had like as soon as it started, because the especially those first few moves and when Maul kind of jumps at her, I had to rewind it because I'm like, I have never seen anything like this in animation. Like mm. it, it took me aback. And, and then I started thinking, OK, if this was released in theaters as a as a cinematic adventure as as a movie there's no way it doesn't get recognized in the highest recognition for animation because it looked so great and smooth because usually what we get with clone wars it at least in the past and especially when it was under cartoon network it seemed like the these the fights the the lightsaber duels were a little kind of choppy sure yeah so well let's clarify something cartoon network distributed it like that's right. who put it on tv but the production house was always you know lucasfilm internally was the one producing it but you're right that early on the show was so stylized that when you had lightsaber battles just like the characters were exaggerations of themselves like long faces big eyes you know kind of like a, a wooden painted look like there was a uh rather than a sense of reality there was a very you know hyperized visual style to the show and so their motion mimicked that you know if they had a lightsaber battle you could 
move your blade quicker than a real person could, or you could leap in a way that a real person couldn't. You just had a sense that it was very kinetic, but in a stylized, non-realistic way. But now they're realizing that you can get a lot more weight and dynamism with motion capture. Now that technology has become so, um, well, just, you know, financially viable for a TV show. Like now that the technology is refined enough that, and well, Lucasfilm, you know, has all this stuff at their disposal because they've also got industrial light magic and they, they've just been doing this long enough that doing motion capture at this point, or even full on performance capture at this point is not that big of a deal. So why wouldn't they get Ray Park in to do uh, Maul the way that only he can do it, right? Because there's a lot of performance in what he brought in the Phantom Medicine, and, and you can only really recapture that if you have the same person bringing just the subtleties that only they can bring. And for Ahsoka side of the battle, they brought in the chick that uh, did that epic uh, stormtrooper curb stomping, just decimation uh, in the Mandalorian. Uh, she did the stunt work for the forger, the the one who made the armor. I can't remember what her name was in the show. But the same person that performed those fights uh, in that scene in the Mandalorian is the same one that's doing Ahsoka here. So you have two very capable, acrobatic, aggressive, really great stunt people performing a, a fight that I think is one for the books. This this is as good as pretty much anything we've seen in Star Wars. And it has that emotional underpinning that makes it even better. And we have, uh, you know... It- by this time, there's not a Star Wars thing that comes out that doesn't have some level of controversy. Some people are upset at the at sure. how an unarmed Ahsoka beat uh, Darth Maul. I mean, it's the same type of issue with like Ray and Kylo Ren. So we don't necessarily have to entertain that. But at the same time, my my one argument for this whole fight is Maul wasn't just looking to kill Ahsoka. Like his play mm. wasn't to to get her dead. His play wasn't wasn't her at all. This just yeah. kind of unfolded this way. His whole play is to deprive Sidious of all of his plan. And then yeah. also, if he fails, to get the hell out of Dodge and, <laughs> right. and hide out. And this is where he kind of c- gives up on the fight and is like, yeah. okay, well, I got to get out of here. And, the you know, yeah, it, it was just it was something interesting that I saw on the social media. Yeah, I, I fortunately avoid that like the plague. So I'm glad that I'm not up on that because I watched this and I was perfectly good with it. We know that there's a, a cat and mouse element to all this that Maul ideally would still like to draw her in. And if maybe he can get her all fired up and, you know, maybe just exhaust her to the point where she acquiesces and said, okay, well, maybe we'll try it your way. You're obviously pretty passionate about this. Maybe he was hoping that the battle would turn in a different direction and that's why he let it get drawn out. But at this point, Ahsoka's no slouch either. To assume that she can't hold her own, uh, I think is naive. You know, she's she's been in the Clone Wars for a few years now, and she's uh, obviously honed her skills under very capable Jedi. I see no problem with it. And the way that she takes him out is very Jedi-esque. When it comes right down to it, you don't need your blade. What you need is the sort of mental clarity and uh, just, you know, quiet calm. And you need to be centered enough to be able to recognize when your foe's aggression is the best way to beat them. So you get the scene at the end where Maul's about to basically, you know, cut her off of this, this beam that's, uh, you know, precariously hanging there. And she just simply is able to redirect his blow so that it takes the footing out from underneath himself, which is great. And then, you know, the best way to hold him in captivity till the clones can show up is to 
you know, use her force abilities to basically sequester him in the air. Uh, great. You know, that, that feels like exactly how you would need to take out, uh, you know, a Sith Lord that under any other circumstance would be able to, you know, hightail it and you don't have any great advantage over them. It was her one play. She used it. It was smart and it was just well choreographed and, and well realized on screen. So I don't know. Uh, haters back off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and something else is really interesting here because this kind of leads us into a speculation mode. So Maul's ship kind of just comes out of nowhere and is mm-hmm. like, hey, we got to go. Like, it's time yeah. to get out of here. <laughs> we got to leave. Some stuff's going down. Let's go. And so with this, just kind of abruptly, because there hasn't been much interruption of Darth Maul, like people haven't really inter- uh, interrupted his plan here. But sure. this time we have a ship interrupting him. And whoever's on the ship is like, hey, we got to go. So could this be that they got word that Mace Windu has confronted the Chancellor? Uh, okay, so this gets a little tricky because I can't remember if he initiated that, like if he called them in. Um, I think when he got blasted out the window <laughs> with <laughs> the lightsaber marks left in the window <laughs> when he got blown out, I thought that was kind of amusing. So that was mm-hmm. a nice little, um, almost like a Kool-Aid man or Looney Tunes touch that there was a silhouette left in the window when he got blown out. I assume that, you know, he hits the ground. He says, okay, well, uh, I guess Ahsoka's a lost cause. I better call my ship and figure out what plan B is going to be because the crap's hitting the fan here on Mandalore. I got no moves left to make. The only reason why he ever assumed power in Mandalore was to draw in Obi-Wan and Anakin to frustrate Sidious's plan. So now that that is a lost cause, he even says it, you know, um, his troops check in. He's like, Hey, you know what? Die with honor. You know, you're on your own. They think they have a leader, but no, they got played. So I think he'd already decided that he had checked out. That's why he's heading up to the roof to get to the ship. So I, I just assume that he called it in, but you're not wrong. We know that serious stuff is going down in the galaxy and, and whoever his inner circle is, the people that he can trust to pick him up in a pinch, they're going to know that we're in the end game here as well. So they were standing by ready to go. I just didn't read it like that, that, that he was getting pulled out of the situation as much as he was removing himself from the situation. Yeah, I think that the, that a lot of that is true where he did call them in. But I also think that because the comment from the pilot was, we got to go, uh, it seemed a little, it seemed a little Oh, pushy. I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, it could also be that, oh, we've also got, you know, a faction of clone troopers with gunships, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a few hundred yards away. We're not going to be able to just stand here in limbo indefinitely without someone starting to take shots at us. So it might have just been the urgency of watching the world blow up below them where <laughs> they're saying, come on, Maul, uh, it's as good a time as any to get off this planet. Uh, so who knows? I realistically, what this is, is a convenient bit of dialogue to move the plot along. <laughs> you know, that's really what we're talking about. So I'm not going to read into it too much, but yeah, who knows exactly? Well, you know, next episode, we may get more insights on exactly what happens next. Uh, you know, if that ship shows back up to try and lift Maul out of his captivity, we don't, we don't know how that's all going to play out. So uh, yeah, who knows? We'll have to just table this to see where the story goes from here. And the next episode is called Shattered. So mm-hmm. kind of vague. We know where we all are in the galaxy. But this last thing where Maul says, you're all going to burn. <laughs> yes. 
I love it. I love it. He's 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 begging them to save themselves as they're as they're reeling him in there, and he's telling the truth. He's like that that wild eyed guy that's running down the street saying Soylent Green is made out of people. Like he's the only guy that knows the dark truth that everyone you know is oblivious of, and uh, nobody's nobody's cluing in. Nobody's getting it. So yeah, who knows where we go from here? Um, but that was a lot of fun because yeah, at a certain point, it's all about self preservation. He's like guys. We don't need to be at odds here. We have a common enemy. And uh, yeah, he just can't get any allies on his side to help him go after Sidious. Oh, poor Maul. (laughs) Will he ever win? And we know how this ends for Mandalore for a couple of reasons. We kind of get a a scene in Rebels as to what goes down and how power is distributed. But then we also get Moff Gideon's kind of dark note to our hero of the Mandalorian that, hey, there's this night of a thousand tears coming. Is this possibly that? Like, is this when the raid ships, the Republic raid ships come in and bomb everything? I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily what we're going to see here, but we know that things don't necessarily end well for Mandalore. Well, we know that they've played kind of fast and loose with some treaties. So uh, there's a lot of problems that could ensue with the Republic or whatever happens after this. I'm not entirely sure exactly how the timeline plays out because you know we've got the siege of mandalore but this isn't necessarily the same event where moff gideon who was an imperialist uh somehow lays waste to the mandalorian culture during the empire time Mm -hmm. so this would have been the era where the mandalorian would have lost his parents because we saw battle droids we know that that's a, a clone war situation so that could have been something in the very near future or maybe something that's already passed i'm not it's it's really hard to track exactly how that all plays into it. I'm sure there's some really hardcore fans that have read all of the supplemental material who have a better idea of exactly how the timeline works. But I don't think that that's the same as whatever devastation is going to happen, like you know, five years down the road when the empire is fully in control of the system. Uh, so we'll we'll still have to wait for uh, more material to illuminate that, and probably uh, Mandalorian season two, which is about six months out, is probably going to have something to say about all that. And then we're going to have to wait until next week to see what happens to Maul and Ahsoka and how this whole thing goes down and if uh, how close we get to Order 66 or if we get it in the next episode. Well, it's called Shattered. Yeah. If, if that doesn't say the galaxy just, you know, being obliterated, crumbling to pieces uh, or the Jedi Order being shattered. I think next episode is the devastation. I think this is the the big, big like downfall of the galaxy that we're going to get from Ahsoka's perspective. Yeah, I, I completely think maybe even in like the opening scenes, we get the, you know, a hologram of a good old city saying execute order 66. Yeah, which is one of the the last few questions that we need to clean up is we know that Rex doesn't turn bad he, he says that he was he removed his chip or whatever uh in rebels mm-hmm. so at this point i don't think we've seen any situation where the clones understand the nature of the chips enough that they've started removing them like i don't think we've seen that explicitly on screen i don't think rex has like a scar on the side of his head or anything so how this all plays out when order 66 happens which clones are loyal and which ones are able to, you know, like overcome their programming or whatever it is. Like there's still some story to be told there. So I think next episode we might get answers to all of that stuff too. Uh, yeah, we're getting close. Everybody, all the pieces are in place. 
we'd seen last episode that all of the Jedi masters were kind of flung to the far corners of the galaxy to the respective planets where they were going to meet their demise in revenge of the Sith. So we know they're already all queued up for order 66. Now, Obi-Wan's on the planet where order 66 is going to happen. Anakin's obviously on Coruscant where order 66 is going to happen. We're getting close. Uh, I can't see it taking another episode. So, um, yeah, see you next Friday. Find out, uh, (laughs) how this all plays out. Yeah, and my last comment is mm. I think it's Maul. So Maul's captured and he's captured mm. with a bunch of clones. And these yep. clones are about to take orders from Darth Sidious himself. Ah. And I think Maul, in an effort to save his own skin, is going to tell Rex, like when they're interrogating him, like, hey, if you don't believe me, you know, crack open your head, like look inside your <laughs> sure. head and see if there's something there. Because cause what is Sidious gonna do? When when the clones, when Rex starts communicating directly with Sidious and says, hey, we got this mall character in jail. What should we do with him? Of course, Sidious is going to be like, yeah, I'll just shoot him, like get, get rid of him. I don't need him. Right. Uh, he's just a, been a problem so far. Uh. So I think next episode, Maul's going to save skin last minute and say, hey, just look inside your head and see if there's something there. Could be. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different ways this could play out. I'm excited to, to see what it turns out to be. Well, this was an extra long episode because there was so much going on in this episode of The Clone Wars. So other than that, John, where can the people find you? Well, if anybody doesn't yet know, I produce the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast, the largest and arguably most awesome SNL podcast in existence. We've been covering SNL's at-home editions. They're coming back this Saturday to take another run at a uh, like zoom call version of the show. And uh, we're going to be breaking that down and that'll drop early next week. So if anyone's into Saturday night live or wants to hear just kind of how things are working in New York during the whole COVID-19 entertainment industry shutdown, uh, that's what we're going to be chatting about this coming week. So you can go to snlpodcast.com or find us on your podcast apps by searching SNL after party. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk. And for your super fans out there, if you have a question or a comment about where we are in the timeline, if you have some more information, please email us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes online on our website at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy, if you enjoyed this episode, please hit that subscribe button. You can find more TV talk shows in our network at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the force be with you always.